This is the Pendulum Land Podcast. Welcome, infrastructure junkies, to our show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. It's your go-to source for the best information within the right-of-way industry. I'm Dave Arnold. With me here is my co-host, Kristen Bennett. Today we have with us one of the shining stars of the infrastructure legal industry, Brad Kuhn. He's a partner with the powerhouse law firm of Nossaman LLP. He's going to scare the dickens out of us right-of-way professionals with tales of inverse condemnation and the COVID crisis within our industry. Before we get to that, though, I want to show a little love to our sponsor, Pendulum Land Services. You know, as professionals in the right-of-way industry, we're all very familiar with the importance and complexity of relocation services and the need for a skilled relocation agent. Now, like many of you, I've taken a number of relocation courses, but I'll be the first to admit that I am in no way, shape, or form an expert. And developing a true expertise in the Uniform Relocation Act requires years and years of practical experience and boots on the ground. Pendulum Land Services is owned and managed by my co-host of the today's episode, Kristen Bennett, who's one of the nation's most respected relocation experts. In fact, clients frequently contact Pendulum Land Services specifically for her expertise in relocation, and that's welcomed by the company. Pendulum is happy to serve as a single-tier subcontractor on a project, for example, to simply handle relocations. So if you have a project that requires a skilled approach on complex relocations, or any relocation, and you need to have the confidence that it will be handled correctly, contact Pendulum Land Services. They're at PendulumLand.com. Hey, Dave. Yes? This is going to be a fun episode, isn't it? Yes, it is. And in fact, this whole podcast has been a blast since the beginning. It sure has. Do you, do you remember when we started? We didn't even know if a person would listen or if anybody would care. But actually, Kristen, the reaction and support has been fantastic. It's been overwhelming. We have more listeners than we ever imagined. Affectionately called Infrastructure Junkies, or IJs for short. And today, we have a very special announcement. We do? Yes. We have established the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame to honor and appreciate our most devoted supporters. Do we have an inaugural class of inductees into the Hall of Fame? In fact, we do. (gasps) We're going to announce the first class later in the episode, so stay tuned. I can't wait. With us today is the great Brad Kuhn. Brad is a California attorney who represents both private and public sector clients in complex development and infrastructure projects. He is the chair of Nossiman's Eminent Domain and Valuation Group and is former general counsel for the IRWA, where he served for four years. Additionally, Brad is recognized by Chambers and Best Lawyers in America for his expertise in infrastructure law. Welcome, Brad. Yeah, Brad, we're so glad to have you here. How's the weather in sunny California? You know, I can't complain too much. It's uh, mid-60s, which is uh, a little bit chilly for us, but uh, we're surviving, especially since I just had some family leave and head back to uh, Iowa where it was 13 degrees. So I am uh, i can't complain. Lucky you. But now, Brad, you are a partner in the law firm of Nossaman LLP, which we kind of view as a powerhouse infrastructure law firm from our cheap seats out on the East Coast. 
Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your practice group and your law firm? Sure, happy to. Um, so Nossaman's a, a firm of about 200 attorneys, uh, mostly on the West Coast, but we do have offices in Texas and DC as well. Um, I'd say we kind of are viewed as a firm that handles infrastructure A to Z. So start at the very beginning um, of an infrastructure project with, with lobbying and government relations team to help craft legislation to create a new agency or to build a project. Um, or to secure federal funding. And then we assist with securing bonds or financing or private investments or, or partnerships for a project, prepare all the procurement documents for selecting the correct joint project partners, the contractors, negotiate all the project documents, then going into assisting with all the environmental aspects and approvals for the project. And then we get into our kind of area where we handle the right-of-way acquisition and property issues. And then I'd say we have the the part that you finally oversee the construction claims related to change orders, delays, that sort of thing. So it, it's kind of a unique place in that we're basically a one-stop shop um, to build infrastructure projects start to finish. Yeah, it sounds like you handle the whole enchilada out there, whereas I'm, I'm more of just a dirt lawyer and a right-of-way lawyer. You guys, you guys handle the entire spectrum, yeah? Yeah. And again, like you, my, my focus is on the, the right-of-way property acquisition-related issues, uh, but it is nice to have a, a team of folks that we can rely on and kind of work as an as a entire group to bring projects to fruition. Now, now, when we were, Kristen and I took a look at your bio from your website to prepare for the episode, and I, I want to get something out on the table right now, because in Virginia, there is a very bright line between the landowner's bar and the condemning authority bar. And it's it's very polarized out here. Now, do, do you sometimes help property owners? Do, do you guys, are you able to play both sides in California or do you primarily specialize on one or the other? Yeah, you know, similar to most places throughout the country, um, there is some some pretty bright lines where you're either one side or the other. We're probably one of the few unique places that does both sides. And so we have a pretty darn active practice on both the the property owner and business owner side and on the public agency side. Obviously, we have to be really careful to steer clear of conflicts and not, not represent any owners or businesses on projects that we're working for the public agencies. But uh, we pick and choose our spots. And, you know, candidly, I, I love doing both sides of it. Um, I really like on the public agency side, being able to see a, a project come to fruition and get built and, and see the, the benefits that that project can bring to the community. But I also like doing the landowner side. I think it's fun to get creative. I think it's fun to make sure that people don't get taken advantage of and are treated fairly and can, can make sure that they're uh, maximizing compensation where it's appropriate. That's fascinating. Yeah, we, we were really, I was reading through your bio, which, I mean, quite impressive, Brad. I can't believe all the things that you've accomplished and make me feel kind of like a little bit of a loser <laughs> reading yeah, your bio. Yeah. I, I was going to say, Brad, according to your bio, you're about 97 years old. Right, but you're not. You're a younger guy, and you have these incredible accolades and all this experience. Anyway, that was really impressive to me. But I'm scrolling through, and I'm looking at all these private sector people you've represented, and then it goes into the public sector. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, she does all of it. And I, I can't help but think that 
Um, that would be a lot of fun to play both sides. And I, I was going to ask you, has it come up a lot that you have to deal with conflicts? But you already answered that. Anyway, fascinating. Yeah. And, and, and kudos on all of your accomplishments and, and experience. It's really impressive. Well, thank you. It's it's nothing as cool as uh, arguing oyster takings before the Virginia Supreme Court, Mr. Uh. Arnold. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep up. Um, no, on, honestly, I think it's it's actually, it's really beneficial to do both sides of it because you, you know what the other side is thinking. You know what they're um, kind of concern points are, you know, if you're representing an owner, you know, the, the project schedule and the funding issues really well and, and how to get deals done. And, and same thing with the public agency, if I, I know what the owner's issues are. So it works out really well to be able to see it from both sides. Fascinating. That's amazing. And you, you have another thing that you can add to your resume lately, which is that you are a new podcaster yourself, correct? You know, we, we have uh, just jumped into one called Digging Into Land Use Law. Um, I, I'm still relatively young, but sadly, I'm, I'm still trying to get up to speed on the whole podcast world. Um, but our business development folks tell us it's a good opportunity right now. Clearly, we're just trying to copy you guys and all the success you're having. <laughs> um, no, kidding aside, we're, we're covering uh, all kind of dirt and land use related issues. So we've done some podcasts on, on CEQA issues. We've done issues... Uh, related to impacts on real estate based on the 2020 elections. Um, we've covered COVID-19 impacts on, on the economy and real estate. So we're just getting going, but um, it, it sure is a lot of fun. Well, you you have some ambitious episodes. I'll tell you, I listened to your first episode about the COVID-19 impacts on uh, valuations, et cetera, and I thought it was great. And I I saw that your latest episode was about coming back from that 2020 election. That Those are ambitious topics for starting out, but you guys do a great job. Well, thank you. Hey, my question is going to be this. Uh, when are you going to have Billy Squire on your podcast? I'm sure with the, <laughs> the Nossaman machine behind the podcast, I'm sure you've gotten him on as um, planned as a special guest. Well, if, if you can... Uh... Use your contacts and, and uh, reach out for us. Let's do it. Well, Brad, let's be honest. Do you even know who Billy I was going to say, he hold on, Brad, Brad, listen, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to indulge this question. Do you, I really do want to know though. Do you know who Billy Squire is? Uh, I'm going to sadly say no. Oh, but, okay. okay. <laughs> well, you know, okay. I, yeah, I think that, I think Brad, I'm pretty sure you're a little younger than I am and I didn't know who Billy Squire was. So well, that's just because Kristen's only taste in music is opera. That is so not true. So speaking of music, do you just um, listen to Sublime all day in Southern California? Is that how it works? Well, you know, I, I don't practice Santeria and I don't have a crystal ball, but if I had a million bucks, I'd, I'd spend it all. You know, um, that was a really good album, okay? It was. I just, I mean, we keep it on we keep it on loop here on the East Coast, so I don't blame you for, for listening to it all the time. So, Brad, so do we get Kristen to, to sing it all on these podcasts with her, uh, her history? Not often yet. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. I've you know tried. who sings on our podcast all the time is Dave Arnold, and that's a little bit unfortunate. Yeah, it's a punishment for bad guests. Uh -oh. So you're, you're not going to hear singing, Brad, because you're a great guest. Let's, let's transition over a little bit to a topic near and dear to my heart recently and um, something I'm sure you've spent a lot of time on, and that's this concept of inverse condemnation, which... I think is extremely important to the right-of-way industry, is probably underrepresented at, at uh, conferences, and, and the industry probably hasn't heard enough about it. But because there are such extreme consequences, if a successful inverse case is brought, it's something that people really need to better understand. So um, 
Let, let's talk a little bit about the legal concept and theory of inverse. And I, I'm sure you've handled a bunch of those cases yourself. Is that right? I have. And it's, um, like you said, becoming a very, very hot topic in California. The concept generally is that if the government takes or damages private property for a public use, it must pay just compensation. Um, it's essentially where there's a taking for a public project, but the government doesn't file the eminent domain action, whether it's due to mistake, due to an unforeseeable event, or because the government doesn't think its actions arise to the level of a taking. California has a much broader approach than most other parts of the country. Foreseeability and intent really aren't applicable issues. Um, and it's also being broadened to apply to a number of private entities that are providing public services, such as investor-owned utilities, which are most of the ways that electric, gas, and water are provided throughout the state. Yeah, so, so let's break this down. In the simplest of terms, uh, an example of inverse condemnation would be if they built a road through your front yard and you found out about it when the bulldozers showed up. And you didn't receive any compensation for your property rights that the that the public road then sits on. Okay, I think everybody can understand that. But where it becomes dangerous is where you don't think of it in advance. And we defended a case. It's probably been close to ten years where a local regional airport authority changed their runway landing system, which uh, altered the course of an aircraft. So more aircraft began to fly over people's homes, and they claimed that that was a, a taking. And we successfully defended it, but the airport never saw that coming beforehand. And I think out your way, with especially with things that happened last summer, y'all are probably getting a good lesson in in the need to foresee the possibility of inverse cases. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more based on things like noise, dust, vibration impacts from public projects, even if there's no physical taking of property. Um, we've even seen one recently where a local government closed off a, a public street temporarily to allow for outdoor dining due to COVID, um, and it caused the rerouting of traffic and, and impacted some other properties, so they sued for inverse. Um, and obviously, the big ones in California right now are, are natural disaster-related and resiliency-related inverse claims related to things like sea level rise and wildfires. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Let's talk about this because I'm, I'm right here on the coast in Virginia Beach, um, opposite coast from you, and sea level rise is a huge deal out here, especially with the military. But tell me, how do we, how do we connect the rise of seas to the right-of-way industry? What's going on out there in California? Well, you know, it's, it's fascinating because we have these obligations that the, the government holds the beaches and land and public trust up to the mean high tide line. Um, and as we're getting climate change and sea level rise um, and, the, and the water's creeping closer and closer to private property, it's, you know, creating a lot of impacts where property owners want to build revetments or, or things to protect their, their properties. And the government's saying, no, we don't want you to build that because then there's not going to be any actual sand left for the beach for the public to enjoy. Um, and, and it's also, I mean, you're seeing in some places roads erode and off the cliffs. Um, you're yeah. seeing where we're going to have to rebuild infrastructure and, governments potentially having to use eminent domain authority or, or exercise regulations um, in such a way that people are going to lose their houses that are along the coast. Well, I, I, I get that. Like if, if a um, highway has fallen into the ocean and they need to rebuild the highway, so they're going to have to acquire some property to put the new highway on or to relocate the highway. I get that. That's, that's like traditional eminent domain. But 
but I still just I don't I don't get this other theory the the public um, what do you call it the public trust or they public trust yeah and they're required to maintain the beaches or something I, I don't see the connection and I'm wondering if this is kind of a novel theory and whether this is coming to Virginia and we just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm seeing people, you know, trying to rebuild um, new homes all, along the coast and the government saying, we're not going to allow you to build here unless you sign a, a language in your grant deed saying that if the water rises to a certain level, you can't make any claim against the government. Or we're saying we're going to exact uh, a regulation on your property that you're no longer, you're never allowed to build any sort of uh, revetment to protect against the the shoreline erosion. Um, in, in other words, the the water can just come up and, and destroy your house. Um, or we're going to enact regulations that s- simply say you can't build on these properties anymore if you if you want to. Um, and so that's when you get into you know the regulatory taking inverse condemnation context. So right. so we're talking about like rising sea levels and climate change stuff. What about with all the California wildfires? How how is inverse condemnation used in that context? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, like I said, most of them in California are investor-owned utilities. So they're corporations, um, and but they're being treated as you're you're providing a project for a public benefit. You know, providing electricity, um, and if that transmission line somehow sparks a fire due to a high wind event, due to a tree branch snapping and hitting the line, or whatever the case may be, that quote-unquote public project has started a wildfire that has then damaged private property um, without the payment of just compensation. So that that's kind of the the causal link or connection as to which how they're trying to connect the two. Um, to, to make it even crazier for you guys, <laughs> I'm seeing circumstances where property owners are now even attempting to sue the water companies, saying what? that the water company didn't have a sufficient water supply or water pressure to help stop the spread of the fire, and therefore it's strictly liable in inverse condemnation because if it's public project, quote unquote, its ability to deliver water functioned um, as it should have, then the, it would have stopped the spread of the fire and the, and the properties wouldn't have so burned that, down. So it's, that's considered a taking? Well, I, I think that's going way too far. Um, I've seen one case so far that's that's made that decision, but the the electric companies are so far not having much success on avoiding inverse condemnation liability. And and again, like you said, it gets really really tricky, right? I mean, they they could be following every protocol known to man. They could have a huge right of way where they're not allowing anything to build in it. Um, but if if something goes wrong and a fire sparks. That thing can spread, you know, to hundreds of thousands of acres and cause billions of dollars in property damage, um, and potentially leave those electric companies on the hook under that inverse condemnation theory. So, do you think this that we're on a is this a, are we on a good clip here? Like, where where does it? It just seems like for someone who is not an attorney, as myself, the the concept of inverse condemnation has always seemed really complicated to me. And then it's like, oh, okay, it's a taking where there wasn't compensation. Got it, got it, got it. But then the definition of a taking just seems to just morph and evolve, and people seem to get real creative with that. Do you think that we are headed down a path of no return You know, with this? It just seems like the inverse condemnation cases get more and more out there. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's going too far. I I really do. I mean, look, if, if... a company is negligent. They do something wrong. They don't follow their protocols. They don't follow their guidelines. I think that's a different scenario. But if they do everything they're supposed to do and follow every regulation and every order, this stuff is just happening. Um, and again, there's a, a million different sets of reasons for it, whether it's you know climate change, whether it's people building into high-risk fire areas, whether it's local governments not enforcing brush clearing or setbacks. 
you know, that, that there's a, a bunch of reasons why this is happening and why it's happening to the extent it is. Um, and to pin it all on one party uh, for, for strict liability, I think, is, is a little bit excessive. Let me follow up with that just a little bit. I want to make sure I understand this. So you've got these electrical or power companies in California, which they sound like co-ops or, you know, they're private companies, which must have the power of eminent domain. Otherwise, inverse wouldn't be applicable to them. Am I, am I right so far? So far, you're right, although I would draw one kind of little unique distinction in that the courts haven't necessarily tied having the power of eminent domain directly with having to be liable for inverse. You, mm. you could technically be what? one of these companies and not have eminent domain authority, but still potentially be liable in inverse. Uh, you just what? blew my mind. I, mine you too. Totally my, blew my, my mind. My brain just exploded. Just when I think I understand inverse condemnation. <laughs> right. All right. It, that, that's... Is, my understanding is that's a fundamental precept behind inverse condemnation is the party who's being sued has to have the power of eminent domain in order to hold them liable for taking property that they haven't compensated somebody for. Otherwise, it's just a conversion, like, you know, from law school, that idea. Yeah, you, you would think so. Um, but there's there's one California case out there, and it kind of goes back to um, one of the ones you were mentioning, Dave, of, of an airport case. Where there, there was an airport authority who didn't have eminent domain authority, and they put in these regulations and restrictions on how high people can, can build in the area and things like that um, due to the runway pass. And the court said, you can still be liable in inverse if you are impacting um, private property for a public project, even if you don't have the condemnation authority. Even without condemnation authority, that that blows my mind. So um, let's. I want to move to another subtopic, which is really important, and this is key um, for people in the right of way industry. In Virginia, at least, there's no ability to recover attorney's fees in a run of the mill eminent domain case. Landowner brings his or her case and they receive an award or a settlement or whatever, they can't then submit a claim for their attorney's fees under normal circumstances. In an inverse case in Virginia, on the other hand, if that landowner proves that his or her property was taken or damaged, then the defendant, which is the entity with which took or damaged the property, is on the hook for the landowner's attorney's fees. And that's a huge element. That can, that can swing the pendulum pun intended, by <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is that the case in California? Yep. Yeah. I mean, th there are a few very unique circumstances where you can recover on a direct case, but they're pretty unique. But on a on an inverse case, fees are automatically awarded um, once there, a determination has been made that there's a taking. And, and like you said, it's, it's a huge issue. You could turn, you know, a few thousand dollar taking case of, hey, someone's, you know, pipe burst and caused a few thousand dollars worth of, you know, water repair damage and do, you know, the other side's racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars of legal fees and, you know, a few thousand dollar case just turned into a massive fight. So it, it creates a very high risk situation for, for public agencies and essentially forces them to, to find ways to resolve them. And you know what I've learned in these inverse co condemnation cases, and I'm sure you can um, hear my eyes rolling through the line is, you know, whereas I can charge a couple hundred, 300, whatever bucks an hour, when we get down to an attorney's fee claim, I find out that all these landowner attorneys literally charge a thousand dollars an hour. At least that's what their their pay application says. Those Isn't that like, funny how that works? Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> California prices to me, brother. 
Hey, Brad, before we move on, we play a little game on the Pendulum Land podcast called Over Under Push, and we'd like you to play. Are you are you game? Let's do it. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you three items, and it's your job to tell us whether each item is overrated, underrated, or eh, it's just a push. It's just appropriately rated. Okay. But let us say this is a West Coast version of the game. Yep. This is the Cali version. And the other thing that you probably need to know going into it is that we want to hear your opinions, but we also, there is a right or a wrong answer and we will judge your opinions. Okay. Yeah. I'm getting nervous. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so you don't get an opinion as to whether your opinion is correct. Right. Right. Okay. So here are the three, I'm going to tell you the three, then we'll go through each one individually. Number one, Disneyland. Number two, surfing. And number three, Snoop Dogg. Okay. All right. All right. Let's go back to number one, which is Disneyland. Is that overrated, underrated, or eh, it's a push? Gosh, it depends on who you ask. Uh, if you ask my wife, it's the most underrated place in the world, and she would go every day if she could. I am a <laughs> huge uh, stay away from massive crowds and wait hours in line, so I would say it's overrated. Okay. You know what? I'll accept your answer. I, I have kids, and we've I've never been to Disneyland. I've been to Disney World. They loved it. It was magical for them, but... I'm probably not going to go to any Disney anything without my kids. So I, I think, do we accept that answer, Dave? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So, woo. Can he, does he get applause or something? Phew. Way to go, Brad. Okay. Number two, surfing. I'm a, a big surfing fan. Uh, gosh, I, I grew up as a little kid doing it and I still do it today. Uh, it just helps clear the mind. Um, so I'm going to say it's uh, underrated. Well, I've never attempted surfing. I have a feeling... I might not be a natural at that particular uh, activity, but it looks super cool. Looks like a lot of fun. So I think, I think yes. Is he right? Yeah, I think he's definitely right. And I will tell you this, Brad, we have a lot of surfers here on the East Coast, but I think our surfing is a little bit different from yours. I don't think what? we get the, we don't get the same swells that they get out on the West Coast. So what? We have the same enthusiasm, but. But, but I, I, I got to say, I mean, I think. West Coast surfing is like the cooler surfing. But, yes. You know, your your buddy Just Eddie, a little bit. Eddie Vedder is a big surfer. I so do. have you ever surfed with Eddie Vedder? You know, I haven't seen Eddie out in the water, unfortunately. Okay. Dang, well, dang. Keep, keep an eye out. Yeah, keep an eye out. We're big Eddie Vedder fans. Okay, let's go okay. with uh, number three. The one, the only, Snoop Dogg. I would go with old school Snoop Dogg is underrated. Uh, back in the day, man, he was he had some great hits. Um, new school Snoop, though, uh I think overrated. I'm not a huge fan anymore. Okay. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you. No, 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 no. That's, oh, sorry. No, that was the wrong button. What? It's kind of a mixed bag. You're right about old school Snoop. You're wrong about new school Snoop. Because Snoop used to be like this kind of rebel guy, and he didn't care. He was just smoking weed and making hits every single day. And now he's like cooking with Martha Stewart. I think he's evolved. He's just who he is. I think he's very, he's a genuine dude. I, I, I think... uh I think across the board, Snoop is uh, underrated. But Dave, I, I think Dave you. agrees I with you. you. I think we're going to give you an A-plus on that over-under push. Yeah, don't that, you think? So, Brad, I understand you are from Orange County in Southern California. Is that right? And I understand that is just south of the Long Beach-Compton area? Yes, about uh, 30 minutes. And so do you stay out of the LBC because there's so much drama up there? <laughs> Got to drive through it on the way to L.A., but aside from that, uh, not too often in the LBC. Yeah, there's so much drama in the LBC, it's kind of hard being Snoop D-O-double-G. That's what they say. 
Look at you. I'm impressed. Oh, hey, don't listen. do don't feed into this. <laughs> yeah, that that album of his, which I won't say on the air because I might offend somebody that came out circa 1993, which I wore out end to end, which still is just like classic, classic old school rap to me. You know, the album I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you have that album? I, I'm sure I have it around here somewhere. And do you have it memorized? Every song, every word. <laughs> okay. Hey, Brad, when this when this COVID thing is over and we all end up in the same place again, do you think there's a possibility that you, Dave, and myself could like hit up a karaoke bar and maybe uh, play around with some old school Snoop? I think that would be a blast. Maybe we could. Uh, I'll, I'll do Dr. Dre and and let Dave do Snoop, and we could uh, get it going. I'm in. Okay. All right. That's awesome. So we, the, the, we wanted to talk to you about something else that you've, you've spent a lot of time uh, making presentations on and lecturing on, which is very, very near and dear to all of our hearts right now, and that's the effects of COVID-19. And we can't seem to get away from that. My question to you is, are you guys able to get into court? I, we, we, can't, we can't. In Virginia, uh, in order to have a jury trial, and everybody wants a jury trial in, in eminent domain cases, the particular court of the jurisdiction must have an approved COVID plan. And last time I checked, only five jurisdictions in the entire Commonwealth had approved plans. And so they're just automatically continuing all of our cases, which is really gumming things up. How is it for you guys out there? Yeah, you know, things slowed down big time in the beginning. Um, All of our trials were continued, and um, people are just trying to figure out the new normal. I'd say we're still definitely seeing some hiccups and delays, but like you, no one's doing jury trials right now for our type of work. Um, but we're still having virtual hearings, motions, mediations, depositions. Those are all going forward uh, virtually. We'll see what happens with with all our trials that got pushed into 2021 uh, for in person. I'm not optimistic, at least for the first half of the year. We'll we'll see where things are at probably mid year and and go from there. Yeah, I don't. I, I, it's just impossible to tell. And we had a we had a full like I'm sure you did. We had a full trial schedule, which has now been rolled over. But do you do you think that the impact on the trial schedule has frustrated the condemning authority side clients on getting their right of ways cleared? And have you seen an effect on landowners? They seem to be frustrated out here because they can't don't feel like they get their day in court or their just compensation because they can't get to court. Yeah, it's definitely had an impact on both sides. Um, California has a much longer process to c- secure possession of property than other states. Um, you know, it can take four to six months at least after filing an eminent domain action to get possession. Oh, um, wow. it's even longer now, and you know that doesn't even include the the appraisal offer negotiation window, all that stuff. So, it, it's getting kicked out, and that obviously has a big impact on on public projects and making sure there aren't big construction delays and things like that. And, you know, on the property owner side, yeah. I mean, getting to trial on the determination of compensation could now be mid years. Um, so we're, we're seeing lots of parties want to engage in mediations or early settlements. And then, you know, I don't know if you want to touch base on it, but overall, you know, I, I'm seeing kind of mixed results from COVID on infrastructure projects. Generally, I've seen some that are being, really delayed or postponed due to worker safety issues, construction delays, um, losses in funding from, you know, sales taxes, tolls, ridership numbers. Yeah. Uh, wow. But then we've had a couple really big success stories where agencies were able to take advantage of less traffic of businesses being closed and they were able to expedite and complete projects way ahead of schedule. So it's, it's interesting to see the impacts. 
Yeah, and I think we're we're just at the beginning of seeing the impacts of this uh, in all aspects of our lives, but especially in our industry. I, you know, Brad, you probably know this, but I um, I do relocation assistance. That's my specialty, and. I am fascinated to see what the effects of the COVID will be on what I do and on relocation. What are you seeing uh, happening with relocation benefits uh, in the midst of all of this? Yeah, it, it's really fascinating um, because from what I can tell, relocation sites may completely change due to COVID. Um, I've seen businesses that have to move um, that are completely downsizing. They're having employees work remotely. They're focusing exclusively on online sales. Um, obviously, you're seeing restaurants looking for more and more outdoor seating uh, than they had before. Um, and, and I think, you know, if a business wants to operate in a whole new way, does that impact what a business is entitled to under the Relocation Act? You know, and again, California is a bit unique in that businesses are allowed to recover and seek compensation for loss of goodwill caused by a project as well. So, you know, if a business is moving to an inferior location, less visibility, less traffic, inferior access, higher operating costs, things of that nature, um, the business can make a claim for those losses. Um, same thing in only partial acquisitions. So I, I think you're, you're going to see some really interesting issues of how does COVID impact uh, business valuation and and the relocation issues as well. Wow. Well, I, I knew that you guys, I had seen a little bit about that you guys pay for loss of goodwill, which I, and I'm in based in Texas, we do not. I think that would make my job a little easier if we could. But, you know, you talk about like when a, a nature changes, or the nature of the business changes when they move. And, you know, to, to downsize, I feel like would be a lot easier to get approval on than to go, oh, we went from small to big. So it seems like, you know, that's not hugely problematic if people are downsizing because their employees are working from home. But it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how all of this shakes out. Yeah, I mean, the, the one area where I'd say I'd see you know, some interesting issues. We have some right now, like, you know, a large mattress manufacturing facility we're relocating that had over 100,000 square feet. They're, they're moving to somewhere dramatically smaller, but they also want to spend, you know, $7 million on reestablishment to, to get that building set up to the way they want it to function. And, you know, what falls under that reestablishment cap and what's truly reimbursable because they've downsized and changed their operations so much. I think it's, it's really oh, going to be sure. an interesting issue. What, what's in California, do, do you default to the maximum uh, that's in the regs uh, for reestablishment, which is 25,000 or do y'all have uh, other limits there? Same thing. California has, has lower, um, a lower cap. Um, although, you know, a lot of the projects have federal funds involved and, and then we're going to default to the federal rigs on those. Sure. Hey, Brad, random question. Who's the better actor, Swayze or Keanu? <laughs> we're going point break style here, huh? Uh, Swayze for sure. Oh boy. Oh, By boy. the way, there was no right, there was no right answer to that. There's just... also no wrong answer. There's just, that's just a really kind of impossible question to answer. Hey, speaking of, uh, speaking of movie stars, we do, when we have people from California on our show fairly regularly, and we always have to ask, do you just see celebrities every day when you walk out your front door, or is that a rare occurrence? They're usually just hanging out in my backyard with me. Oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> like Snoop? Firing up Snoop the grill. <laughs> All right. Tell us your biggest uh, celebrity in encounter. Oh, gosh. Um, you know, this is kind of a sad one, but um, the, the church I – I go to Kobe Bryant used to go to that church very regularly. Oh, oh so we'd gosh. see him a lot. Um, 
that that was kind of always a, a cool one. Um, yeah. But obviously, it's a sad time for for that. You know, and that was one of the you know usually you hear a celebrity death and go oh it's kind of sad that one kind of just rocked everybody's world. I was I was kind of taken aback by that. Very sad. So uh, an- another kind of related question, and I think this is going on all over the country, is the real estate market's out of control. And it almost feels like it's 2005 or 2006 in our real estate market. And a two-part question, number one, is the market doing the same thing out on the West Coast that it is here? It's going to become completely unaffordable for regular people quickly. And number two, is that having an impact on valuations? Yeah, you know, it's fascinating. If you're talking about uh, the residential real estate market, things are still exploding like crazy, um, even in, you know, more suburban areas and people being able to, to live and work remotely. Um, those numbers are just out of control. The industrial market has been going gangbusters. Um, Amazon is taking over the world. But if you look at the more retail aspect uh, world and, and shopping malls and, and small businesses, those are getting hammered right now. Um, and, and even on some of the office building size, I mean, there's just a completely different market. And I think it's it's going to be really, really tricky. I mean, especially what we do with the, the real estate valuation aspects. Who knows what the future holds? Is, is this a, a short-term year, 18-month, two-year type of thing? Or is this going to be a permanent change in the way people uh, act and operate? And it really leads into this big area of speculation. Um, and, and speculation is a, a big no-no in the eminent domain world, as I'm sure you know, Dave. Oh, it yeah. just can lead to exclusion of expert opinions if you're getting into just kind of guessing or speculating on what's going to happen. But so so thinking about, you know, how you value real estate in, in the middle of COVID, I think is going to present some, some real challenges and, and create a huge area for dispute um, between property owners and public agencies and um, figuring out whether or not this is a, a short-term issue or a permanent issue and whether it's something that is attributable to the public project or is it due to the economy and COVID? Well, Brad, I, I know this. I know that you guys are going to cover this on your podcast moving forward and the effects, um, and we'll definitely watch that space. Where where can people find you um, on your Nossman podcast? So if you go to our firm website, which is nossman.com, uh, we have a link to our Digging Into Land Use Law podcast. So that, that would be a a great place to check us out. Um, our firm also has a blog that follows all things eminent domain. Uh, you can check that out. It's called California eminent domain report.com. Um, and then we also have a, an, an infrastructure blog that covers nationwide infrastructure related issues. And that's called infrainsight.com. And so there's, there's a couple different places you can kind of stay up to date and um, up to speed in our industry that, that we try to put out there for everyone. Well, that's great. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. And this has been a lot of fun, Brad. It's great to talk to somebody all the way on the other side of the country who does pretty close to what I do. It's it's fascinating to me. And fun fact, and I, I can't explain this, I don't know why, but we, we keep up with our statistics on the Pendulum Land podcast and where our listeners are. If you can believe this, California is our number three, ranks number three among American states as far as our listener audience is concerned. Figure that out. It must be all the talk about Snoop Dogg. (laughs) You got (laughs) it, buddy. (laughs) All right, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. We've enjoyed it. Dave, you know what? What? We could not do this without our just incredible 
base of listeners. No, we couldn't. We couldn't. It wouldn't be worth it. But boy, has it been worth the effort so far. We really are fortunate to have such a strong group of supporters. We should do something nice for them. Yeah, I think we should do something for our IJs. Like maybe do some sort of raffle or drawing of some good stuff. What do you think? Well, that's a good idea. How would we get people registered? How do they enter the raffle? Well, here's an idea. How about every time somebody follows us on any social media platform, they get entered into the raffle? For instance, like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter. Each time you do that, you get entered in. How about that? So you could get like three. Yeah. Hey, let's make it so they could get four entries. You could also go to the Pendulum Land podcast website, which is pendulumlandpodcast.com and subscribe for our newsletter. And that's another entry. Okay, so up to four entries a person. So what, what do you think we should give away? Something good. Yeah, yeah, not like like an embroidered oven mitt, nothing like that. Something that people Dude. would actually use. Dude, Yeti cooler. I'm in. All right, how about a branded Yeti cooler? How about, uh, I don't know, Apple AirPods? Yes, or what about like Yeti tumblers? That's a good one too. Or even, you know, like even a branded Hydro Flask or two. With some like Hydro Flask stickers? Yeah, well, what, what do you think the stickers would say? Pendulum Land Podcast, um, IJ, what have you? I'm not. I wasn't a marketing major, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Why don't we do all of those things? I think we should. I think we should give away ten nice things because our listeners, our IJs, are so awesome. They deserve it. Okay, so let's let's get this straight. Our IJs can like us or follow us on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Facebook, and they can subscribe to our email list. That's four entries for a chance to win one of ten. Fabulous prizes from the Pendulum Land podcast? I think so. I'm in. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Get after it, and hopefully you will be one of our prize winners. Stay tuned. Hey, Kristen, you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time to announce the inaugural class of the of the Infrastructure Junkie Hall of Fame. It's time? Oh, my gosh. This feels momentous. Let's get a drum roll. This drum roll is entirely too long. Hello. It's a long drum roll, but these are really important people. Our first inductee into the IJ Hall of Fame is none other than Mr. Ryan Ainge. You might know him as the author of not one, but two books, including The 21st Century Body. Thanks for your support, Ryan. The second inductee into the IJ Hall of Fame, Ms. Tina Thorson from Spokane, Washington. She's with Common Street Consulting, has been a wonderful, wonderful supporter of this podcast. Next up. Welcome to the IJ Hall of Fame, Mr. Dalton Van from Texas with CBRE. Our fourth and final member into the IJ Hall of Fame inaugural class is Gina Phelan from O'Brien Realty Advisors down in your neck of the woods in Texas. Welcome to the IJ Hall of Fame. As members of the IJ Hall of Fame, you are going to receive a promotional prize package from the Pendulum Land podcast. So reach out to us and we'll make sure that you get that. And listeners... Are you a candidate for the IJ Hall of Fame? If so, keep listening and keep supporting because you may be next. Hi, this is Tammy Benson with Aviva. You've been listening to the Pendulum Land podcast with your host, the ever-charming Kristen Bennett. Oh, and Dave. Please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review the show. Peace out, my friends. Laid back with my mind on my money and my money on my mind. 